Welcome to Payne on Politics, a podcast where host Dr. Gregory Payne of Emerson College sits down with fellow experts to discuss the current state of politics, public opinion, and global affairs. In a world growing increasingly complex, communication and critical thinking is key. This only makes the Emerson motto, expression necessary to evolution, more true. Hello, this is Gregory Payne, uh, Chair of Communication Studies at Emerson College, the first communications department in the United States. I'm here with a colleague. I'm also here with an alum. I'm here with someone who is always a breath of fresh air, I would say GOP fresh air, in my class, and that is Kat Grasso. Kat, welcome to Paint on Politics. Thank you for having me. When I think back of your career, I have to say, first of all, it's been one where and I've, I've sat and listened to you lecture in my crisis class with you and Linda Peake. And you always captivate the audience because when I indicate to them, Kat Grasso's coming and she has worked with Rudy Giuliani. Yes. She's also worked with <laughs> Chris Christie. And what I found is she was supposedly what managing communication with Chris Christie. Can you manage communication with Chris Christie? I think a lot better than you can with Donald Trump. So <laughs> now I have to also say, uh, considering many people in the audience are going, gee, this is a little bit different flavor than of rhetoric uh, than Payne usually does. You've got these GOPs. I guess, first of all, before we get into New Hampshire politics, because you have such a wonderful and I think illustrious past with some very, very popular leaders, Rudy Giuliani, of course, I just think back of 9-11, and uh, we just went through the vigil here in which we lost three people. And I remember at the time I looked at uh, Rudy Giuliani as America's mayor. And uh, you worked with uh, Mayor Giuliani. He seems to have, I guess we said, Emerson, uh, expression necessary to evolution. He's certainly evolved, but at least from my perspective, maybe not yours, I, I liked it when he was America's mayor. So what was it like and where do you think he is? What do you think his legacy is going to be? Sure. Well, I tend to agree with you. Uh, when I took the position with Mayor Giuliani, I had just uh, been working at the White House under uh, President George W. Bush for two years, which was my first job out of college. So I was looking to get involved in a presidential campaign and the opportunity to work for Mayor Giuliani came up and just like you, America's mayor. So I couldn't say no. He was who I would have supported um, anyway if I had not worked for him. And I jumped at the chance to go manage uh, his war room, which is part of the rapid response team and overall part of the communications effort. It was an amazing experience. Very long hours, 2 o'clock in the morning till 5 p.m. at my desk, go home, nap, and come back again. And at the time, that's he was everything I wanted a Republican candidate for president to be. Obviously, he didn't make it through the primaries, which was disappointing, but uh, Senator McCain was just an amazing candidate as well, and I proudly supported him in 2008. Uh, since then, I don't know. I don't recognize him. I don't recognize a lot of the, I'll say, quote-unquote, establishment Republicans from 10, 15 years ago uh, as they have sort of diverged away from the Republican Party that I know and the Republican Party that I helped support and work for uh, in my early uh, career and internship. So disappointing to see, to say the least. Kat, one thing that I'd like to say is we seem to have a, um, a wonderful tradition of CPLA presidents, and you were a CPLA president here what I find uh, very astonishing, uh, but not surprising given your talents is, as you said, your first job after Emerson and political comm program where you had some great professors was the White House. Yes. How did that happen? That's an amazing, uh, that's an amazing first job. 
Well, I still don't really know if that sounds um, naive, but uh, I was so thankful to the opportunities that Emerson College provided. At the time, we didn't have the DC program. I think it's just amazing that we do now with such a need. And I was able to intern uh, one semester down in Washington, DC for the Republican National Committee through American University's Washington, DC program. And through that, made some amazing connections, came back to Emerson, continued through my junior and ultimately my senior year interned for a second time at the RNC the summer before my senior year. And just through the contacts I made, the people I met, uh, my resume somehow ended over uh, at the White House. I originally actually interviewed to be a press assistant in the Department of Commerce. Uh, I graduated uh, at uh, the Wang Theater on the Sunday and actually flew to DC on Monday for the interview. I actually left um, my graduation ceremony, went and bought a suit. Uh, for my first job interview. Uh, but unfortunately, it didn't pan out. Um, and I got a call from the White House a few days later, and they said, are you interested in interviewing? And I did. And uh, for two years, I had the amazing opportunity to work not only in the presidential correspondence office, but the White House photo office. So being a sort of firsthand you know, assistant to the president's chief photographer, getting to witness some really incredible events over the, the time that I worked there, and then ultimately went on to work for Mayor Giuliani for the year. Uh, what, what would you say if you characterized the Bush White House? What was it like? And then secondly, uh, what was some of the events that sort of stick with you in terms of being so lucky to work at the White House? Sure. Um, the one word that always comes to mind when I think of my time uh, at the Bush White House is teamwork, uh, camaraderie, support. Uh, lifelong friendships. There's a deep understanding and a deep appreciation for how lucky we were to be there to work for not only the president, but on behalf of the American people. And we had such pride. And President Bush and Mrs. Bush and Vice President Cheney and Mrs. Cheney were always so gracious and never treated us like we were, for lack of a better word, hired help. They still don't treat us like that. We have reunions every two years. We have monthly newsletters. We have uh, monthly Zooms, if we want, with former administration officials. We have our Facebook group. It's just, I can get with any of my friends that I worked with at, when I worked for President Bush, and it's like no time has passed at all. And I think that's all because of the sense of pride that came from the top and obviously trickled down to all of us. Okay, when we when we think about it, you went then, of course, as you said, to Mayor Giuliani's presidential campaign. And then you picked another person who's a very com complex cabernet, and that is Governor Christie. Working for Chris Christie, what was that like? I know when we used to talk, you used to say, I'll give him a brief and tell him not to do this, and then suddenly he'll go in and do just that. <laughs> so it must have been complicated for you. Um, He's a great guy. I think he's he's very smart. He's a, a lawyer, a former um, U.S. attorney with a 100% conviction rate. He knows how to make an effective argument. And what he wants to say is what he wants to say, which is excellent and really a benefit to a communications uh, professional because you know you can trust him to communicate the message, the need effectively. And it was always just, it was a lot of fun. We did a lot of great things in New Jersey for the four years that I worked there. Uh, after leaving Mayor Giuliani's office, I worked in Albany for a brief time. I went back to the Republican National Committee uh, for two years and oversaw their war room efforts during the 2010 midterm elections, which saw the Republicans take back the House. And going into the press office uh, for Chris Christie during what were really the, for lack of a better term, golden years of his governorship, the tail end of his first term. Obviously, we had um, some rough times with Hurricane 
Sandy and ultimately Bridgegate, but it was really when his national profile uh, grew. Uh, I think obviously thanks to uh, his positions and his efforts, but also I think um, from the work that we did to to really elevate his message because we thought it was so important to share. If, if I, I'm going to deviate just a bit. When you were at Emerson, of course, we say that we have one of the the best and most uh, immersive experiences in political communication. We have you back teaching, and of course, we've enriched that legacy. But what do you think it is about the Emerson political comm experience that gave you the, uh, I, I guess, the propulsion from an educational perspective to have these prestigious positions? Well, I think it has to do with not only who's uh, teaching them, but I think the students themselves. So what I always found interesting and what made me come to Emerson in the first place was that from the beginning, as a freshman, first semester, you're learning and hearing from people and professors that are in your major, in the fields that you want to study. It wasn't front-loaded with gen eds, and by the time you became a junior, you finally got to get a, a piece of you know a major that what if you ultimately decided you didn't like or it wasn't for you and so having the ability to jump into a class with mike brown on the first amendment or john coffee or yourself or the tens of other professors hundreds of other professors that i've met along the way who many are still here and it's always surreal to walk down the hallway and be like oh hi oh hey yes i had you it's just amazing and i think the students just add to that they're here to learn they want to be involved they want to be engaged in a way that I think just makes the classroom experience so much more um, effective. And, you know, I shared this with my class the other night. I'm teaching argument advocacy this semester, and we were talking about personal narrative. And when I actually entered Emerson, I wasn't uh, a political communication major. I was a marketing communication major. And I was sharing that, you know, first day of classes, went to my typical 8 a.m. classes, intro to speech communication, made my way up uh, to the fifth floor, two doors down from where I teach this semester, and sat in a class where the professor walked in and said, do you think it's bad luck to have class on a day where a plane hit the World Trade Center? And none of us knew what she was talking about. We all thought she was a little weird, to be honest. And so that moment of having my first day of college be 9-11-2001 ultimately impacted and really changed the course of my life in the sense of what I wanted to do with my life, which was to get more involved in politics and communication. I ultimately changed my major and then I think went to go work for a lot of politicians and government leaders who I think, um, to me, exemplified the leadership uh, that was seen in the immediate aftermath of 9-11. I think what's interesting about what you've just said, uh, just coming into the office today, you step through the eighth floor, which is, I would say, a nice uh, uh, mecca for, for divergent views. We have a student from Bahrain. We have a student from Saudi Arabia. We have a student from Uzbekistan, as well as uh, the Asian area. So one question I would ask you, uh, Kat, is... Uh, as you look ahead, you're in a party that is strained. It, uh, it doesn't seem to represent some of the values that I know you adhere to. Most people who know this podcast, I was president of the Young Republicans when I was at the University of Illinois until I met Robert Kennedy. Where do you think the party is going to go? Because so much of it seems to be infatuated almost in a cult-like way with President Trump. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's potentially could continue to go that way for a while. I know when uh, you were talking to uh, Susan a couple episodes back, she kind of mentioned this idea of waiting for it to implode to build back up. And I I pretty much hold the same view. I think what I see as the national party now, and I think just, again, having an intimate relationship and knowledge of how 
party politics work. The party itself isn't the party that I interned for or worked for the, a lot of the people that I worked alongside. Uh, and that's really disappointing. But uh, as Chris Christie used to say, uh, I live in hope. So I'm really hopeful that there will be sort of a, a, a realignment and, a, and back on track, I think, more towards the core Republican values that I know a lot of people hold and that a lot of my friends and particularly my age, I'm going to be 40 next year. You know, a lot of us grew up uh, sort of in that post-Reagan era, you know, George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush. I think we have a sentimentality to that age of Republican politics and I think uh, are hopeful that we can uh, focus on that again. I know there's a lot of leaders out there who feel the same way and, and politicians and elected officials that align with that. So I think my hope is that ultimately their message will be more amplified and ultimately successful. I know that you and I have talked uh, when you were, just before getting married, you were here in the office and we talked about possibilities. And you indicated at the time, this is when he was running, that uh, President Trump, prior, prior to him being president, had reached out to you and you had uh, had an interview or so. So what, what was that like? And of course, you decided, I think, to get married uh, instead of joining the campaign. It was Your a good thoughts. excuse. <laughs> um, so yes, uh, through my position with Mayor Giuliani, I met Jason Miller, who uh, is known pretty well within uh, Trump world and nationally uh, now. But uh, he had reached out to me because he had been working on the Trump campaign at the time, asking if I wanted to get involved with a, a quote unquote presidential. And I was like, oh, um, maybe kind of playing stupid and just said, oh, what uh, race? And he's like, oh, this is for Trump. And this was right before, this might've been right before the RNC, the convention, but before the DNC, I want to say, because it was all around um, the response to the the family that came up on stage during the Democratic National Convention uh, that had a lot of negative reaction from the RNC. And I, I apologize for not remembering the name, but uh, he reached out and he said, listen, I have a job for you. Do you want to be national deputy national press secretary? Which for someone who's worked in politics and communications, that's like the dream. Like who just calls you up and says, this is an option for you? I never would have thought. And, you know, I, I thought about it and he said, I want to connect you on a phone call with um myself and Hope Hicks, who ultimately went on to work for President Trump for a few years. And and I, I talked him through it. And my first question, sort of after hearing the spiel of, you know, we're getting a lot of incoming, we just need someone to help manage, you know, the, the strategy and the, and, and the press and all the attention we're getting, which totally understandable. And my question was, well, who manages Twitter? And they kind of were like, well, you know, like he tweets. And I said, well, yeah, I get that. But does someone oversee like the Twitter account, you know, and and my background is, you know, working under, uh, you know, Governor Christie. Obviously, he has a login to his of Christie Twitter account, but we have login. And, you know, as a communications office, maybe if we're sending out an event or making an announcement, we would tweet a link to the law or the press release or a video or a clip or all these things. So we sort of, quote unquote, managed it, right? And that was not what was happening then. And this is 2016. This is August of 2016. And so I said, okay, so great. What else can we talk about? You know, and and that just gave me pause. And they said, okay, well, let us know. Give us a few days, you know, give me a few days. And I thought about it. I really, in the back of my head, knew it probably wasn't going to work out for a whole host of reasons. One, I was getting married a week before the election. Two, I didn't necessarily support um, then um, Mr. Donald Trump. Um, and three, I didn't feel that as a trained communications professional that I could do the job I was hired to do, which was to help the candidate 
advance their message effectively. And I think it's really hard to do that when you have someone who doesn't respect that side of communicating and electoral politics. And ultimately, um, I turned it down. I found it funny that I got emailed to me before I officially was offered the position, um, an NDA to sign. And then uh, wrote back and went, um, does this mean that you're offering me a position? And then I got the call. Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. We sent that too early. And um, got the call, turned it down, and uh, went on to, you know, other things. When he won, was I a little disappointed that maybe, ooh, I missed an opportunity here for my personal career? Yes. Um, but in the end, it was the right decision. I did talk to a lot of my mentors and just said, okay, if I take this, what happens? And uh, some said, People will think you're supporting your party, that you're doing um, what you were trained to do and that you were brought on to do a job. And other people said your resume is gone and it's going to be really hard to, to have it on your resume going forward if you ever got out of politics. Uh, and I just ultimately just didn't feel I could, could do it. And I'm thankful for that in the long run. I don't, again, don't know how long I would have lasted, stayed, been fired, quit, who knows. Well, I think you've just demonstrated some good critical thinking skills in terms of looking at the options. I know that, uh, A, you have to teach soon, but let's, if we can, if we can just revisit what occurred in New Hampshire, sure. what were some takeaways as, a, as a, an expert? What do you think were the real headlines? What surprises did we have? Great. Sure. So I am originally from New Hampshire. I live there now. I'm a registered voter, a registered Republican. My husband's a registered Democrat. So walked away, you know, voting last night. Obviously, uh, Governor Sununu running for election, run away in the Republican primary, really no contest. On the Senate side, General Bulldog, uh, Don Bulldog pulled out uh, a win against um, Chuck Morse, who is the Senate president. Uh, very surprised by that in the sense that, um, and ultimately disappointed, someone who believes that January 6th and, uh, you know, was totally okay, conspiracy theorist around the election, uh, from what I've read, believes that there's microchips in the COVID-19 vaccine. Trump did not endorse any candidates in any of the statewide elections, but he has actually been running really for over two years because he ran two years ago in uh, the Republican primary, ultimately for the race against Gene Shaheen. He lost in the primary to, at the time, someone who was really the more, quote unquote, Trumpier candidate. Uh, so his name has been out there for a long time, um, and he did eke out that that win last night. Uh, but Maggie Hassan, uh, the current senator, has been on television all summer. She has a lot of money. So I think it would be hard to beat her, but honestly, anything is possible. So we'll see. Uh, I happen to live in the 2nd Congressional District. The winner is a gentleman named um, George Burns, who is, again, the more conservative candidate between the two top candidates. The other one, George Hansel, was the mayor of Keene. Burns won by a small margin, but enough. Uh, one of the controversies that came up during that race was mailers that we got, uh, that I got at my home, uh, with him being everything on the mailer was pro-Trump, pro-Trump. Uh, he's the Trump candidate uh, with no return address or who they were paid for by. And ultimately, um, the investigation right now is saying they were paid for by a Democratic mailing house, uh, which is interesting. So whether or not that ultimately tipped people to, um, towards him or not, we don't know. But Hansel was a more moderate Republican mayor of a Democrat city, younger uh, but has some positions that for the more conservative voter, I think they were uneasy with um, and so ultimately didn't come away. And then I think the biggest upset, to be honest, was in the second, uh, the, excuse me, the first congressional district, which was where Caroline Levitt 
beat uh, Matt Mowers by 6,000 votes, which I think is actually a, a pretty big number overall. I think 25,000 votes to about 18,000. So uh, Matt Mowers, actually, he and I worked together for I think the whole four years I was with Chris Christie, uh, ultimately became state party director in New Hampshire when the governor was uh, chairman of the Republican Governor Association, has been here in New Hampshire uh, since. He ran two years ago, easily won the Republican nomination uh, because he worked for President Trump in the State Department and used his connection to President Trump as a big reason for why he was running, had the Trump endorsement two years ago. And uh, lost by about five points to Congressman uh, Chris Pappas. And now Pappas is up for re-election. Mowers was in a pretty heated primary. Uh, the two main um, opponents that he had were Caroline Levitt. She's 25. She was the communications director for Congresswoman Lee Stefanik, who's a pretty strong Trump supporter. And uh, Senator Scott Brown's uh, wife, uh, Gail Huff Brown. And Mowers lost by, like I said, 6,000 votes. Had more money than Caroline Levitt. Um and honestly, I almost feel like got out-trumped and uh, surprising. I was really surprised. And I only started seeing his TV ads about two or three weeks ago. And at the time, I was kind of like, you have a lot of money. Maybe you should have pushed a little harder. But to see him really come close to unseating Pappas, who comes from a family in New Hampshire that's really well-known in that district, to losing in a primary to someone who's lived in New Hampshire a year and a half. Not that Matt has lived in New Hampshire his whole life either, but for a relevant newcomer um, was interesting and so i don't know we'll see It'll be interesting so kat as we close here on paint on politics first of all i want to thank you not only for your insights but also coming back because i think what makes this a political fountain of youth so to speak is because we keep refurbishing it with people like yourself uh in terms of knowing the latest strategies if i were to ask you right now who do you think is going to be running on the republican and democratic ticket 2024 for president gosh well first of all i just want to thank you for allowing me to come back um i've been teaching i think off and on since 2017 and i so appreciate it and i love it so much so thank you um for everything over the years i can't believe it's been 21 years since i first walked into this building so it's just crazy but gosh i would say on the republican side if trump decides to go for it great but i Wonder about DeSantis, because uh, I think, and Trump may use some excuse to get out of it if he really knows that it would be hard to beat DeSantis. I see that probably being the most likely. Uh, and on the Democrat side, gosh, I mean, obviously Biden. So I would keep an eye out on who's coming to New Hampshire. There's, I believe, um, Larry Hogan's coming in a another week or so. Um, Pompeo's been up here. Pence has been visiting. Christie's been visiting. So Nunu's kind of teetering a little bit. So I think there's a lot of names out there, but I wouldn't be shocked if we saw um, DeSantis-Biden uh, elections. So. Okay, well, thank you so much. As I said, uh, always happy to have you here. We can't wait to see the baby because as soon as I see the baby, I'm going to say, are you doing Polycom, public diplomacy, PR, whatever? <laughs> Yeah, she's 19 months, almost 20 months. She's getting big, but she loves to talk. So we'll get her enrolled early. Maybe I can start paying for college now. It'll make it easier in the long run. I think we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll sign her up right now. Thanks again, Kat Grosso. Thank you.